welcome everyone. Uh, if you're listening here, this is a podcast I recorded um, the end of January in the uh, American state of North Dakota. I was over visiting for a, a week uh, doing screenings at a university there uh, in Bismarck, North Dakota. And while I was there, I had the opportunity to interview uh, a few really interesting people. Um, the first of which is a, a, a man called David Archambault. Um, and you're going to hear his interview now. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't have my trusty sound engineer with me, uh, with all of his gear and all that. So I was using a borrowed, um, basically, tape recorder. So the quality probably won't be up to our normal, <laughs> impeccable standards. Uh, but David's a fascinating guy. I had just met him. He was the leader of the Standing Rock Reservation during the whole protests that, you know, of course, were covered by the media and went all around the world. Um, he's a real man of peace. Uh, he was put in a very difficult position of representing his people against really the, the most, possibly the most powerful influences in the world in the sense of like the president of the United States, um, massive petrochemical companies, multinational corporations. And he was taking them on while advocating for his people and um, while also trying to be a peacemaker and um, not make things worse. So interviewing him was interesting. I didn't want to go into all the minutiae of what happened um, and what happened subsequently, um, but uh, I was just trying to get a real snapshot of, of him as a man. And uh, he's an impressive guy, a real humble man, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. Thanks. So uh, welcome everyone. I'm really privileged to be in uh, uh, the in North Dakota uh, today. I spent um, a really special time in the Standing Rock Reservation. It's a real privilege to be with David Archambault, uh, who um, for some years was uh, the chairman of the Standing Rock Reservation and was part of um, what went all over the world on the news media. Uh, this the Standing Rock. Um, the attempt to real protest against the building of a pipeline in that area. So thank you, David, for taking some time with, with me. And I hope uh, w this is just a meaningful, a short, but meaningful conversation. Okay. So, yeah. Um, David, could you just introduce yourself a little bit? Like what, what is your nation, the tribe, um, a bit about yourself that listeners could kind of get an understanding of who you are? Yeah, so my name is uh, Dave Archambault, like you said, and I am a, a member of the Standing Rock uh, Nation. I, uh, I was the former chairman of the tribe. I, um, I don't really consider myself an activist, uh, even though the events that took place at Standing Rock, um, some would consider me an activist. But uh, the way I see things happening is uh, I was a... A, an individual who's concerned about our nation. So our nation has a, a, a poverty rate of about 40%, um, has an unemployment rate of about 60%. So it, uh, this is a, a nation within the United States and nobody would think that the United States uh, would be, would, would have uh, that kind of poverty. And our, our situation, um, is far from the worst. There, there are other nations that experience higher rates of poverty. Higher, uh, but living in a in a situation where there's high rates of poverty, you see, you have an uh, opportunity to see um, op uh, different development opportunities, uh, different things that you can do uh, to to change the situation. Um, we're not in poverty because of our choice. It's something that this country has done to. Uh, our nation, our people, uh, over the past 200, uh, maybe even going back 500 years. Uh, just the evolution of events that took place that created a situation where we became dependent on uh, the government. Mm. <clears throat> and that dependency is a symptom of uh, poverty, uh, along with all the other symptoms of poverty, uh, mm. lack of housing, lack of uh, employment, lack of education, lack of um, uh, law enforcement. Mm. There's a there's a lot a whole list of symptoms of poverty. High uses of alcohol, mm. high uses of of drugs, high high abuse rates, uh, abuses mm. of all kinds. So, uh, being an individual that grew up in 
uh, our nation. Um, fortunate to have two parents with that who that guided me mm. uh, to want to do something more, mm. um, not just for myself but for our people. And so I become uh, an advocate for my nation. So an advocate is somebody who uh, is local and who wants to make something better for not only my home uh, and not only my community, but uh, for our our nation, uh, our tribal nation. Uh, so as as you're walking through life, and I, my, with my experience trying to be an advocate, I see uh, uh, one way to address is in politics, and I become a tribal um, elected official, mm -hmm. tribal politics, and and um, so a lot of times what you see with um, uh, advocates of the community, mm -hmm. um, these individuals end up in roles uh, of politicians. Mm -hmm. So, uh, an activist is somebody who who stands up against something, who believes in something passionately. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily, uh, it, it could be at home, but it, it is also something that takes you to other places where the issue is being discussed. An ad activist is somebody who uh, believes that their voice has to be heard and it, and it is wherever that issue is being talked about. So it's not necessarily a local uh, movement, but it's something that they're trying to do um, trying to make enough noise, trying to advance. And, and the advocate and the activist have the same goal, mm. and that is to make the world a better place. Mm. Uh, in their opinion, mm. whatever it may be, the world has to be a better place. And uh, an advocate is local, activist is national. Okay. And a lot of times an activist feel that the advocate are the politician or the government, mm. because a lot of politicians fall into government roles, mm. um, are wrong. Mm. And they're not addressing or changing the rules or changing the laws so the activists stand up and, and they're the advocates and activists are a lot of times in opposition mm. and they're trying to advance their, each have a cause and they're trying to advance their causes and it takes a long time to, to make enough noise to where there's change. but. When that noise gets amplified, it's when an advocate and an activist are not in opposition. Mm -hmm. When they see eye to eye and when they come together. And you've seen it throughout history. Mm -hmm. In the United States, we have a, a women's movement. Mm -hmm. um, women standing up for their rights. And, and then it's not until the government believes that the, the women do have rights. And it takes almost 100 years before change starts to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, you've seen it in the civil rights movements mm -hmm. when individuals feel they have rights and the government doesn't, doesn't believe it. But when the government does finally come together, the advocates and the activists come together, mm -hmm. it elevates that cause mm -hmm. uh, and it lifts, the movement will lift everybody's purpose mm. and they and there's a lot of things that happen mm. uh, in a short amount of time uh, but it doesn't last forever mm. the advocates and, and activists mm. again separate mm. and then at, at the snail's place snail's pace they move mm. their causes again until there is another occurrence when mm. the advocate and activists come together so <clears throat> because I was um, somebody who uh, always try to make my home, my community, my nation a better place, then uh, I was pushed into positions where I was a politician in the government and I stayed local. I, I never went off and, and uh, uh, spoke on, even if the right is, uh, or the uh, cause has a purpose and I believe in it, I never left home to go mm. uh, anywhere else uh, to um, be amplifying, mm. be amplifying a, a, a cause. So staying local, um, taking care of my home and my community. Um, to Standing Rock is your home, it's been, yeah. it's been your home, yeah. So, um, over uh, over time, 
um, we start to see a lot of things that are unjust, especially for my tribe, uh, my nation. Uh, and if you go back in throughout history and you'll see what the wrongs are and what created the situation, what created uh, uh, who, the, the state of dependency that we are in, um, this great nation, that's what the current president calls uh, the United States a great nation. Um, this great nation was founded on the backs of our ancestors. And uh, when you look at all the takings and all the wrongs that have been committed and, and that elevated us into a situation where um, there's a high rate of poverty, a high state of dependency, um, it all goes back to infrastructure mm. projects. Mm. And so the, the infrastructure project uh, from the beginning of time has, has uh, always changed the way we live. Mm. And not by our choice. We mm. never had say on whether or not we felt the infrastructure project uh, would do us good. Mm. So the, where we're at today mm. um, in the early 1800s there was no no buildings here there's nothing here uh, our our ancestors lived here this um, is lakota land it's yep. you know, you, yeah yeah um our ancestors lived here and even if, if it's not lakota there's other mm. tribal nations like the mandan and hadatsa who were in this region and mm. and we we often uh crossed with paths with mm. other tribes but it wasn't um uh it they wasn't like it is today. Boundaries that there you were, stayed in separate. Not, yeah. So we were nations without boundaries, and and we didn't have you didn't have the, the, the. It doesn't look like it does today. We had the plains, and our, our nation, we depended on the buffalo. Uh, the buffalo, or the American bison, uh, was, uh, our way of life. It was our economy. It was everything. So the buffalo in, in this area from into Canada all the way down to Central America, the buffalo roam free, kind of like in Africa, you have the wildebeest, they, they migrate and they go, they have a, a, a cycle, um, a path that they go throughout the year. The American bison was like that. And what it, what it did for us was it provided our shelter, our, our teepees were made with buffalo hides, our tools, uh, all of our food, uh, everything of the bison was all we needed to live. And it was, it was a way of life. It was a connecting to that, to the, the universe with uh, the, the buffalo. And then uh, one infrastructure project came in the, in the 1800s, around even 1790s is when the railroad system start moving towards the west and the uh, railroad system helped facilitate the destruction or killing of the buffalo so early 1800s like 1801 there was it was said there was around uh, 70 million buffalo that roamed the plains. Wow. And it would be like a black sea. Hmm. Uh, so the plains would be for those not know it's this where we are in, in this area, it's very quite flat with little hills, rolling mm -hmm. hills, and uh, it would be what today would be called like North Dakota, South, South Dakota, Dakota, Nebraska, Wyoming, Colorado, okay. Oklahoma. It's the, ro okay. the plains are like the flat, but the buffalo would it'd be they like would, a, they would just run down this flat. Well, kind of so and, and they were a part of the cycle of life mm. to where wherever they went, they cultivated the land. Uh, when they went came through, they they ate the grass. It's, imagine sixty million buffalo coming mm -hmm. through, um, turning the soil, uh, opening it up for uh, prairie dogs mm -hmm. uh, to to move in. So prairie dogs were migratory too. They they were not stationary. They didn't stay in one place. Mm -hmm. So the prairie dogs would also cultivate the land, and following the prairie dogs would be the the coyotes, the wolves, the prey animals, the hawks, the eagles, and so uh, it was necessary for the buffalo to come through in territory and clean the land, cleanse the land, and, and it provided uh, just abundance of life that followed as they left the area. So, uh, and for, for our ancestors, we uh, depended greatly on the buffalo. 
uh, just like all the other animals. Uh, and then the railroad system came and they started to kill a buffalo for sport. An infrastructure project, a railroad line came in. And on the cars, there would be people to, there would be so many buffalo uh, that it was a, a game just to kill. Right. Um, there was so much debris left from the buffalo. Imagine 60 million buffalo in 1800, and then in 1889, less than 100 buffalo roam free in the plains. But there's one infrastructure project that helped facilitate that, and that was the railroad system. Mm. And that railroad system changed the way we live. And there's just multiple, the, the railroad system, there was the um, uh, dams, the dams, the, the, there was the Pixlone Act that uh, helped set, build seven dams. It was the largest dam project in the, in the world at that time in the 19, uh, 1944, 1956 is when it got completed. And then they flooded river bottoms. And... These dams were strategically placed for tribal lands. Mm -hmm. uh, they were set where tribal lands were, were identified. And so our lands got flooded. And it changes the way we live. Uh, it's, it's just like uh, every infrastructure, whether it's a highway, uh, uh, telephone lines, our power lines, our... Um, uh, railroad systems, uh, whatever it be, bridges, dams, whatever infrastructure project there is, if it's close or in proximity to of dealing with infrastructure projects, that it's going to have a negative impact on the way we live. And that's one of the reasons why we stood up against the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline, because that's an infrastructure project and understanding the risks and seeing uh, all the pipeline breaks and the impacts that it has on the environment and the proximity of this pipeline of where it's going to be placed, it is most definitely going to have an impact on the way we live. It's going to change and alter our life just as all others. So this great, when I said this great nation was built off our backs, uh, we continue to pay the costs mm. for all the infrastructure projects mm. and the benefit is reaped by uh, the nation, by the United States. Mm. Uh, when I say we pay the, pay, continue to pay the cost, our lives have changed so, so much mm. uh, that we become uh, in a situation where there's high poverty and where there's high rates of uh, all the symptoms that mm. exist that, and come with poverty. Mm. So, uh, so the pipeline today, when we drove down, we, so we're in uh, this city north of uh, Standing Rock Reservation, Bismarck, and we drove down and Mike showed me uh, where the pipeline now is and also the kind of large area of land where the, about 10,000 kind of protesters were. And then, and then we drove on just a little bit further and we come into Standing Rock Reservation. So the pipeline kind of just goes and then there's the Missouri River is this large river that runs um, and I suppose Buffalo would have stayed kind of close to the river right? or they would have some kind of water source so you have to keep in mind that that's not the river okay it, it was once called the Missouri River but today they call it the Lake Oahe because there's a dam that packs uh, the water up and you, you said a large river okay. it's not a large river uh, it's a large body of water because of the damming okay. and the land that was taken mm. from mm. this dam so okay. okay that's interesting and then and so the where the pipeline is is right just at the northern side of of, of standing rock right. reservation and so that's the latest infrastructure project that you're talking about that has potentially you know a huge impact on the people that live right beneath that right yeah so w what was the what w how did you kind of observe it did you sit and kind of think i have to do something or you know no, it must must have taken some no it wasn't so again um you have to understand that i didn't um i wasn't the individual not just one individual mm -hmm. um, created a resistance uh, against a, a pipeline um there were many players, many people, and a lot of times it, it's uh, 
when something like this happens, you can't contribute to an individual, especially not me. I didn't, mm. I didn't do this. Mm. Uh, I was in the capacity of a leader mm. of my nation, mm. of my tribe. I'm like the president of the United States, yeah. I'm the president of my nation mm. and our nation. Mm. And there's a lot of people who are concerned about this within mm. my nation. Mm. And the voices of their concerns are heard by advocates or by politicians or by tribal government and so because their voices are being spoken and we are listening uh, and we also understand that throughout history nothing good has come from infrastructure project so we have to start the conversation mm. to see how this this uh, infrastructure project uh, had evolved to the, to the place that it is now and uh, in my capacity as a chairman, I was able to speak with uh, government officials mm -hmm. in different agencies or departments of the United States, and I was also able to speak with the, the pipeline company itself. Mm -hmm. um, and I helped them understand that uh, we, under we know that uh, infrastructure projects are, are not good for our people mm -hmm. because of history, so I share the same thing with them that I'm sharing with you mm -hmm. and uh, they don't care mm -hmm. this is not about humanity or it's not about environment or it's not about protecting sacred places it's it's mm -hmm. about uh, getting oil to a refinery so that people can make money mm -hmm. so money becomes the driving force mm -hmm. of all of this and and the government uh, the federal government succumbs to um, the mighty dollar dollar mm. and puts that mighty dollar before people mm. um, and so uh, just to kind of give a bit of clarity even about um, uh, uh, the kind of who, who you would be or, or your people like I've heard of we could talk about this bit I mentioned Lakota land like there are many tribes would you call it tribes yeah. or uh, and so um, Standing Rock Reservation, is that a few different tribes would be represented there or would it be mainly, is it Lakota or? So uh, prior to any Europeans uh, being, mm. we had uh, what we had, what we would call Ochete Shock Oi, that would be our, our people. Uh, and it was uh, made up of several uh, uh, nations, I guess, mm. Mm. Uh, but it was one. Mm. Uh, so we have uh, like seven council fires, seven bands that would come together, and and the the it, it, a way to um, look it up or understand, you would say the Great Sioux Nation. We don't call ourselves Sioux, but okay. the Great Sioux Nation, and that was uh, uh, the Ochete Shakwe, the seven council fires, and there were different dialects in the language, mm -hmm. which was Nakota, Dakota, and Lakota. Mm -hmm. So you're asking, are you Lakota people? Mm -hmm. We were part of uh, the Great Sioux Nation. Something bigger than that. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah, there are other uh, tribal nations that live within mm -hmm. Standing Rock. And the Standing Rock tribal nation was created by the federal government, mm -hmm. as was all the other um, Great Sioux Nation mm -hmm. tribes, I guess. Mm -hmm. So we have, there's nine in South Dakota and there's mm. five in North Dakota, five tribes. And these are all creations of the federal government that split the Great Sioux Nation up okay. and uh, put us on small parcels, parcels of land, uh, of the land that we once mm. had. Yeah. I just was reading a little bit about you before you came and um, <laughs> just, uh, um, just basic research on the internet. And it mentioned uh, your grandparents being in boarding schools. Is that is that right? Is yeah. could could you tell us a little bit about that? Because obviously, in certain parts of the world, I'm originally a New Zealander. Um, New Zealand, the Maori people were were the indigenous people, First Nations. Obviously, in Australia, the same thing. Uh, in Canada, here, um, boarding schools seems to have been a way in which colonial oppression kind of happened. What? Can can you tell me a little bit about your, your the story of your both maybe your grandparents? So and, not, and it's not I could even uh, go back to my father. You know, my okay. my father was uh, in a boarding school, but uh, so also it's a federal government saying how do we uh, uh, 
uh, tame the the Indians? Um, how do we uh, uh, take from the Indians? And um, it's federal policy. The federal policy has long been standing and stands today is to uh, kill the Indian but save the man. Mm. Uh, try to assimilate them uh, as fast as as fast as you can. So. That's federal policy, and there's several ways that they've uh, accomplished this, and it's not a a plan that was implemented for a period of one year, five years, ten years. It's a it's a plan that has been implemented for hundreds of years, and it's not just in the United States, like you said. It's in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, mm. uh, anywhere where Indigenous peoples uh, had a connection with the with the land and and live freely with the land. Uh, Westerners try to um, uh, like kill that life mm -hmm. and but then save the person mm -hmm. that's what their view is and one tool to do that was uh, schools boarding schools so if you uh, if you try to take imagine taking um, uh, do you have any kids I have three boys yeah how old are they uh, 13, 11, and 8. So even an 8-year-old um, taken from your home and put in a, in a situation forcibly where... Forcibly taken. Forcibly taken from his home, your son, mm -hmm. uh, 8 years old, forcibly taken from his own. And this happened to four, five-year-olds mm -hmm. uh, where they're taken from their home. Take your son out of your home and tell, and now say to him, you will never speak mm. your your language, the language that you speak, your first language. You'll never speak that again. And if you do, we're going to beat it out of you. Mm. And by the way, we're going to cut your hair. And by the way, um, you're going to have no hair. And by the way, uh, we're going to have, uh, you're going to get molested. Your son is going to get molested. Your son is going to be taken from you and he's going to be, his language is going to be stripped from him. The person, his culture, his beliefs, everything's going to be taken away from him, and he's going to get molested. Mm -hmm. uh, that's your son right now. Wow. That's what the boarding school's done mm -hmm. over time to, to a lot of indigenous people. Systematic injustice and oppression. And, and so, along that, for hundreds of years, uh, a lot of our ancestors would not pursue a higher education mm -hmm. because school was negative. It's uh, your son. If he was taken out of your home, and he was he was uh, beaten for speaking the language that he only knew, and if he was abused sexually, physically, uh, from K through twelve, soon as he graduated twelfth grade, uh, he has all this historic trauma that he grew up with, and and it changes how he's going to raise his kids. Uh, he doesn't have any parenting school skills, and He's um, he's not gonna want to go to school anymore. Mm. School is negative to him, mm. and and so that was a, a a method that the United States federal government implemented to try to assimilate uh, Native Americans. So language was a big bit of bit of that taking away the the indigenous language, the, the first language, um, the uh, language, the culture, the spirituality. Yeah. Uh, we were not able to um, practice anything that mm. was remotely considered uh, spiritual. Mm. Uh, we, we weren't able to connect with our culture and our spirituality all the way up to the 1970s. Yeah, so one of the themes that I look at in the do documentary I made, uh, the podcast, is and one of the themes is where religion is has been used to uh, divide. It's been used in a way that poisons the, the river, so to speak, that, that, that toxifies things. And I also try to find ways in which some kind of faith can be redemptive and uh, the, the opposite of that. So when you think of like religion, you know, in terms of the history that you're sharing, do you see that largely in a negative light, as in maybe boarding schools run by churches or do you, what? Where do you see positives or negatives in in terms of kind of? Well, I don't think that. I don't think religion is negative uh, uh, when it comes to religion and and the culture spirituality of, of indigenous peoples. Uh, so everything that we have done, uh, our ancestors, the way they lived, that was 
that was their, uh, I would you'd say religion, I guess, mm -hmm. but we would call it a way of life. Right. So That's how you cool. live mm -hmm. is uh, uh, the relationship that you have with the Creator, and and in our language, it, our relationship with with anybody uh, was so. Uh, for example, the way. Uh, we would define a relationship is chie, uh, Czechia, Czechia in our language. Czechia mm -hmm. means, um, but if you say uh, wo Czechia or Czechia, it means to pray. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm going to pray, I would say wo Czechia. But Czechia is not, um, it does not mean to pray, what it means is the connection with the relationship, and because of a, 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 a spectrum of relationships that exist and that had meaning, so you had a meaning that was of high importance, uh, of uh, respect, that at that end of the spectrum, and this end of the spectrum, we had familiarity, mm -hmm. how familiar you are with somebody, and between individuals you have a relationship that is defined and uh, the, it's displayed in your behavior uh, when it's a high level of respect or when it's in, in a low level with familiarity mm. so um, that's Czechia that relationship and uh, we will say that relationship Czechia with the Creator, with Tukashna, or with uh, mm. the Great Mystery, or Wankhantanka. So, Czechia, not praying, but acknowledging there's a relationship. That's the way of life. That's our way of life. So, it's uh, not necessarily a religion, mm. uh, but it's more about who we are as a people and the connectivity that we have with the Creator, with the universe, with the world with each other it's and, a relationship and so much maybe of the conflict even with the pipeline was this where your spirituality your way of life was about everything is part of it is a way of life um you're you're coming against a western oriented kind of reality where they have a very much a sacred and a secular the people building the pipeline may have gone to church on sunday and prayed but then they come back to reality to their secular world and they dig up the ground and stick a pipeline in and there's no and so there's separation in some ways whereas is that part of it whereas from a your indigenous kind of first nations way of life is that everything is connected yeah 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 not even like the um uh, our ancestors are have left sacred places for us um and in time, we'll go back to the sacred places and we'll understand what they are. But um, it's unfortunate that they're in a path of a pipeline and there's no understanding of, of what that is by a Westerner, that, that there's, a, there's a something of significance. Mm -hmm. So it's easier to destroy that than it is to uh, not do a pipeline. Mm -hmm. How do you not give up hope? Um, with such history um, and continual abuse of your people and oppression and theft and I don't th I don't think it's a uh, a question of of whether or not you're going to give up hope. I think that uh, what we've seen from the movement uh, at Standing Rock is a, uh, a surge in uh, belief and a surge in reality that. Uh, what we had to um, do that so that the world will know that we still exist and that we are still here and that uh, we have solutions for uh, the world when it comes to not a debate or not trying to uh, create argument whether or not climate change is real or global warming is real or fake we can see that uh, if we don't change our behavior throughout the world, we're going to create an, a, a situation where uh, life will not live. Mm. Uh, there will be no life. And 
um, the world and the earth and everything will still be here, uh, but we will leave nothing behind for generations that are yet to come. So um, what happened at Standing Rock is starting to open the eyes up and say, look, indigenous peoples, not just that Standing Rock, not just my tribe or my nation or the Great Sioux Nation or Lakota, but indigenous peoples all over the world, mm. in, in South America, in Australia, New Zealand, and in India, wherever there is a connection to Earth, they have solutions and answers to uh, giving this planet a fighting chance to still have a habitat for mankind, animal kind, plant kind. Mm. And since I've been here, I've seen um, uh, some depictions of sitting bull, um, who was a, a kind of, I suppose I would use the phrase, iconic kind mm -hmm. of uh, Lakota uh, chief, was he a chief? Yep. Um, and I heard something that you wrote a few years ago, I suppose, during maybe, or before the protest, you met with uh, the then President uh, Barack Obama, and I, I read a quote, you said that the sitting board said he would, he would, what was it, he would welcome an honorable man yeah, so and so, you, you were kind of comparing. You were saying Obama was an honorable man. Or. Well, so at that time when Sitting Bull made that statement, uh, there was always a demand, a requirement that tribal leaders, uh, uh, chiefs, uh, anyone in that position, go to D.C. and speak to the leaders, or what we would call the great. Uh, white grandfather would be the president. Mm. Uh, so there's the request is always saying, come, come, mm. come to DC and let us tell you what was gonna happen mm. and what Sitting Bull said is, well, I don't wanna go to DC, mm. uh, but if you show me one honest man, one honest man, uh, have him come to our nation, mm. have him come here. Mm. And so uh, Barack Obama did come to Standing Rock. Yeah. What can you tell us what that was like to meet him? Like, what what did what were your impressions of him? Well, I thought that, um, like anybody else, um, they're they're the they're in a situation where they're looked up upon, mm -hmm. elevated above, and almost uh, if you have not met somebody like that, they're where they would be mystical or mm -hmm. something, but. Uh, the president, uh, Barack Obama, was uh, genuine, and he was a human, and he was caring uh, for our our nation. Mm -hmm. And and not only did he say that, uh, but his actions displayed it. You know, the, a lot of uh, um, policies and laws that been shelved and and placed on back burners for decades. Uh, he pulled them out, and he resurfaced and he actually addressed a lot of those and he created opportunities for the the youth in Indian country and so uh, and he made a commitment he made a promise that he was going to visit uh, one tribal nation in the United States during his term which was uh, there are 566 tribal nations throughout America and uh, one out of 566 is going to get visited by the president. Um, that was a commitment he made, enough that we, we were able to welcome him and show him uh, that we still are here and that our culture still exists and that he is uh, uh, an honorable man for, for not just saying things, but actually doing. Okay, um, maybe we could come back to um, just the, uh, the, the pipeline. It, it, uh, President Trump came in and said it's going to go through and I guess the protest then was brought to an end people were kind of moved off the land uh, the pipeline was was built I guess um, is there anything that you do you look at that as a kind of just another defeat is there do you feel like something was gained from that? Is there any way it can be reversed? Uh, well, I think we could always try to um, get the oil from not flowing uh, and reduce the the threat to our nation. Mm. Um, we, you know, I always said that um, 
whether we we win or lose, meaning that we stop the pipeline or if it goes through, there was a uh, significant victory for indigenous peoples in the United States. Uh, we were able to come together the first time in uh, ever throughout the history that that many tribes uh, were represented in, in uh, a collective voice uh, at a single moment in history. So that in itself is a is a huge uh, victory, and it, it's uh, there's a lot of lessons that came from it. Um, early on, when when every tribal nation was coming, uh, they were bringing uh, things that were significant to their tribal nation, their uh, voices, their songs, their prayers, and when we saw uh, that if we come together like this, we asked only four things, and that was uh, no alcohol, no drugs, no weapons, and no violence. Mm. So those four principles there, if you can gather uh, people and say, this is how we're going to live mm. together, uh, and you're guided by prayer, mm. uh, that is significant. And if you can start to imagine every nation mm. living without uh, those things, alcohol, drugs, weapons, and violence, mm. uh, and living in peace and, mm. and having prayer in your life, mm. um, that is a lesson that we should be taking to our communities, mm. uh, especially in areas where there's high poverty. And that's the victory that I've seen and I witnessed is that we were giving by the Creator uh, a moment in time where he shared lessons or I don't like to call the creator he it's, it's mm -hmm. the way I see creators he's all around us all the time and so uh, and I don't even know that it, it's it's uh, it's mystical mm -hmm. but uh, he gave us a glimpse a picture a window of what life can be like um, if we follow these simple things mm -hmm. be in prayer mm -hmm. Uh, so uh, that's a win and regardless of what this nation does to our people and what this nation does to other tribal nations we take that and we we continue to, to persevere and move on and and keep mm. keep making our voice be heard because uh, if we don't mm. there's going to be some some ramifications mm. that won't be able to be reversed yeah. It certainly seems, from my perspective, the way you're describing your worldview, that the indigenous way of understanding everything is connected is a way that actually should provide leadership to the world at the moment. And, um, you know, often it's the industrialists and the, you know, the, the, the people with the biggest bank accounts are leading and, and maybe they shouldn't be. You, you talked about prayer there. Is there, is there a, a, a prayer that you would say in your language that you could say here? Is there a way that, or is there something in your, your language that you could uh, communicate here on this podcast? Oh, I, I'd rather not say anything okay. in, in or a prayer. Or okay, all this. Yeah. I think what I always um, felt mm. was that who I am and my culture mm. uh, is is my space and my mm. place and mm. my time and and I don't need to uh, expose that for mm. somebody to judge mm. and so uh, I don't like to and mm. when I was a tribal chairman I never told anyone how or what they should do as far as prayer goes mm. and I never mm. prayed mm. Uh, for people I was never considered uh, myself mm. as somebody as a healer or mm. anything like that so um, I, I think it's real personal. Every individual uh, has things that they hang on to and that they consider personal. Mm. And mm. so, uh, and my choice is to keep that. Okay. Uh, and I, only because yeah. with social media and with uh, the way things yeah. are today, uh, people place judgment. Mm. And mm. Uh, to me, prayer is something that I have mm. and, and that I don't yeah. need to, it's to not, share it's it. It's not an exhibition. I yeah. don't need to share it. I don't need it to. Mm. I don't need to say something like that through prayer mm. to get my ego stroked or yeah, anything. Yeah. So. 
I love what you were describing earlier about these kind of uh, rules. Um, no, was that for the protesters that were coming? They, so no alcohol, no drugs, no weapons, and no violence. And kind of non-violence um, for me is seems to be um, something that brings hope to places. Uh, uh, you know, obviously in in my country, uh, Northern Ireland, we had violence, um, uh, and the people have different perspectives on it. But at the end of the day. Um, I think it never produces good fruit. Um, this week, actually just a few days ago, uh, a, a politician who was very significant in our country passed away, uh, Seamus Mellon, who I got to meet uh, a few times. And he was uh, himself and a few others, particularly a guy called John Hume, where I think were real leaders in our country of uh, resisting, being quite dogmatic in their resistance, actually. It's not like he was this nice... You know, it's not like he was like Gandhi, maybe, you know, kind of, he was more kind of, he would shout at you and tell you off. But he was completely, resolutely committed to nonviolence. And as a consequence, I think he was able to be one of the people who really brought peace in our country. Um, is that how you would see things in terms of violence? And well, I think... Uh, where, what is the place for, you know, when there's been injustice and oppression, do we so need to resist in a nonviolent way? When our nations have stood up to a dominant nation uh, with violence uh, at war, then uh, it seems like the attempt for oppression uh, is only heightened. A lot of, uh, and when we when we do address something with violence, uh, who are we? So there's two ways to look at what happened at Standing Rock, and one way is we could have a our voices heard in a peaceful way or we can have our voices heard in a violent way through war or through prayer mm -hmm. and uh, what would have a greater impact um, I think everybody wants to see violence uh, social media so, um, movie theaters uh, they want to say this is what this is what violence is uh, but the ramification of that will last for thousands of years, and so if you, if we, and and who are we going up against? If we're going uh, into war to stop this pipeline, who are we fighting? We're fighting basically the United States uh, government, and the, te the advances of technology and uh, the strategies uh, that have evolved. From the past 200 years are different from when we when we went into war with the United States, mm -hmm. and we actually defeated the United States mm -hmm. uh, at the Battle of Little Bighorn when uh, Custer had his last stand. Mm -hmm. So, from that time to today, it's a different world, and uh, the result, though, the ramifications of facing something with violence is going to last a long time, and. Uh, you can see uh, the ramification in our nations today that have high rates of poverty. Mm. Um, and placed, we were placed today, uh, back then they would consider the worst lands available were given to our nations. But today, because we don't abuse them, mm. they become the most precious, most beautiful lands. And you were down there mm. today, and you could say, this is beautiful mm. in Standing Rock. Look, mm. at, look at what is still left in this world. Mm. So another way is to say, let, let's look at nonviolent direct action, doing it in a peaceful, prayerful way. The only problem with that when we say nonviolent is violence takes a form in uh, many ways mm -hmm. uh, so uh, if I was to if I was to uh, slap mm -hmm. somebody mm -hmm. that would be violent and if I was to curse at somebody uh, and make that person feel small that is another form of violence mm -hmm. Which form of violence is going to last longer? Which form is that individual going to hold on to? Mm. That verbal form of violence 
sometimes is more harsh mm. than a physical form of violence, mm. depending on the level of physical form. Um, well, I think we're coming to the, the end of our interview. So, um, and uh, I think your wife, David, is waiting out in the car, so we don't want to keep her waiting. But um, I just want to uh, maybe just make a comment at the end. Like, I grew up my early years in New Zealand, and then when I moved to Northern Ireland, um, I heard about the indigenous people of North America, and uh, and I've grown to kind of kind of love what I've heard, and uh, it's it's been really special to spend a bit of time with you and uh, to see your integrity, your real commitment, um, and in terms of Standing Rock and the pipeline and what you did, I you know. Um, it's a real honor to be uh, with you and to and to see what happened and uh, and I really my prayer for for your people is that change will start to come and uh, and I'm a very grateful for people like you who are kind of leading the way in maybe a humble way sometimes and, and a way that is just gently leading people in the right direction so thank you for for meeting with us and uh, I, hope, uh, I hope we get to meet you again and spend a bit more time to, with you but thanks so much David for your yeah time. maybe if I go to Ireland yeah 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 you're welcome you're welcome <laughs> okay okay thank you thanks thanks, thanks.